This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by TBR. TBR is Book Riot's new subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Been dreaming of a stitch fix for books? Now it's here. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email so there's an option for every budget. Sign up only takes a few minutes, answer a couple of questions about what you like to read and what you're looking for, link up to your Goodreads profile if you have one, and you're done. So you can visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 36, and we are recording on Wednesday, October 10th. I'm Katie McLean, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincey. How are you? I'm okay. We were talking offline about how it's been a long day, so I'm actually recording this podcast with a glass of wine next to me, which is a first for me. So, <laughs> Well, I, I uh, to tell a little secret, I have recorded a couple episodes with a glass of alcohol next to me, so <laughs> join the club. <laughs> I mean, good, like the thing is, is that I generally don't drink very often. I mean, I drink, but not like super often. So like usually on Wednesday nights, I'm like good. Like I usually don't, I'll wait till the weekend, but it's been a day. So yeah, it's been a day. It's been a week. If you are listening to this and and imbibing, you know, cheers to to all the rest of you guys listening. (laughs) Yeah, for real. (laughs) I did um, just to share share a little bit of exciting news that's not related to anything, but I'm super excited. I um, I scored two tickets for Blaine and I to go see Mumford and Sons Ooh. in March of next year when they come to the United Center in Chicago. Yeah, I saw that those tickets were going on sale. Oh yeah, I got the, I got pre-sale. I I had a doctor's appointment literally at ten o'clock when the tickets went on sale. I sat in my car for an extra minute to make sure that I could score tickets before I went inside. As you should. As I, mean, I should. Like, um, so this is like completely random also, but just since we're talking about tickets, I got a ticket to go see uh, Michelle Obama. Oh. But the thing is, is that I was like at work and like, obviously, like everyone and their brother-in-law is trying to get tickets to this thing. So it took so long and I'm like at work trying to get things done and also like waiting for Ticketmaster to load tickets that are also within my price range. Because like you can get like front row seats that are like $5,000, which oh my god, I know, obviously I was never going to do that. Um, They had I was trying to get like the cheapest tickets possible, which are still like $75 or something like that. But those were gone like immediately. Mm -hmm. So I ended up just getting $150 tickets which is not too bad and i think i'm also on the floor still so yeah i'm very excited about that if she's uh her book comes out the day after my birthday and her event is in chicago that's doing like the book launch and stuff like that so it's like basically a birthday present to myself yeah michelle obama birthday present that is yeah that is uh, that is totally understandable and i almost had a mini heart attack because when i signed on to ticketmaster and it's it said okay you're logged in and they have this special thing where they they have su- such big problems with scalpers for Mumford and Sons concerts that they have like these pre codes and like they they have all of these measures in place to make sure that it's actually you know the fans getting the tickets and not yeah. the scalpers but when it logged me in it's like there are 2000 people 
people ahead of you. I'm like, mother pus bucket, I swear to God. And but then it like jumped to like you're next in line in like 30 seconds. So Oh, that's nice. Yeah. So I was like literally walking into walking into the into the doctor's office and I was just like, and buy tickets now. And I really I really should. I, and I'm like, do I need tickets to see them again? This will be the sixth time I've seen them mm. in concert. But I'm like, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the longest I've ever spent in line, and by line, I mean like online in the Ticketmaster line, was when I was buying tickets to see Hamilton in Chicago. Because mm-hmm. um, I got them like the day they, like when it was like the first time they were coming to Chicago, or like they first started doing their shows here in Chicago. And it was me and one of my friends who just happened to be home. Um, from work that day too and we were both sitting in line and uh i think we stayed in that like online queue for like three hours Mm -hmm. yep (laughs) but like the thing is is like because it's hamilton and they were doing like you know six months worth of shows on sale at one time it was fine because like we still got like seats we wanted and the price range we wanted and things like that you just had to be willing to wait Mm -hmm. so yeah worth it though Oh, yeah, I've been there. Multiple browsers open, multiple computers going. You've got yep. it on your phone. Oh, yeah, I am I am a ticket master master. <laughs> okay. Well, I'll I'll uh, breeze through our usual introduction. If you have if you are also a ticket master master, please please come join us. Join our special little club. It's fun. Um so this uh for this podcast we talk about mysteries and suspense novels and true crime and book adaptations and all kinds of weird stuff in between. Um anything that pertains to that is fair game. Um if you are a longtime listener of the show, welcome or welcome back. If this is your first time, welcome. We have lots of fun here. Um so we um uh, we always put out a call for ideas and suggestions at the beginning of the show. Um more of you I have noticed are emailing us or reaching out to us on Twitter. Um, even and so I, I just wanted to say if I haven't responded yet or whatever, we do see that we do see these messages, and it makes my heart so happy to see people who are like, "Hey, I heard this on your last episode, and I thought of you," um, or or an answer to your question. Also. Um, really quickly before I finish that spiel, last episode we had a question, or I asked the question why some pictures of the seven and a half deaths of uh, Evelyn Hardcastle are, are listed as seven and a half and some are seven. And someone said that it was to distinguish between that book and the book The Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Oh, yes, that's smart because I would often not like mix them up like I had I knew which one was which but it would take me a second to make sure I was saying the right one when I was talking about each of these books so that makes sense all right so yes I do I do appreciate that that feedback I as soon as I read that I went oh yeah that makes sense so anyway, we do we love hearing from you guys. We love hearing uh, suggestions for future episodes or just kind of ideas in general, topics that you're interested in. If you have anything on your mind that you think that you would be interesting for us to talk about on a future show, please let us know. We do use those suggestions when we plan future episodes. Um, and then I guess I'm just going to take that and jump right into our news segment. Um, a couple of things. The... Uh, the first item that I have, there is a new podcast called Unlikable Female Characters, which is a fantastic name, um, but it's hosted by uh, Kristen Lepianka, Lane Fargo, and Wendy Hurd. And the description on their homepage, well, first of all, their um, their logo is actually a little similar to ours. It's kind of a 
stylized black, white, and red dagger. That oh, says, I didn't even see. I didn't notice there. Yeah, it's not. I mean, it's not exactly oh, the same, but similar enough where I'm like, oh, hey. Um, but on their homepage, it says, Unlikable Female Characters is a new podcast where feminist thriller writers talk about female characters who don't give a damn if you like them. And that just sold me right there. Um, so I don't really know what else uh, to say about that. I have not um, I have not had a chance to listen to their podcast yet, but uh, it's definitely, I think, something that our listeners would be super interested in. So if you have a chance, um, make sure to check out Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast. And then we, um, there's been an article going around from Vulture. Uh, it's an interview with the, the wonderful Irish unicorn that is Tana French. Um, and it's, uh, and it's an interview where she talks about the writing process and how to write a red herring in a, in a mystery novel. If you are not familiar with the term, a red herring is a misleading clue that the writer, uh, puts into the story to make you think it's going in a certain way and then they can go, aha, no, it wasn't. Um, um, so Tana French, who I think is absolutely brilliant at doing this, um, kind of offers some insight into her writing process. I will give a heads up um, that there are some spoilers in there for her previously published books. So it doesn't give away any spoilers for her newest one, um, which was which came out yesterday. But if you have not read any of her, or if you haven't read all of her books yet, you may be... It depends on how averse you are to spoilers. Um, so yeah, just just make sure that before you click on that, just just know that there that there are some spoilery things throughout. So just to keep that in mind. All right. Uh, the next story that we have is a little bit of casting news. Um, Army Hammer and Gal Gadot are have been announced to star in the next Agatha Christie adaptation, Death on the Nile. Um, Kenneth Branagh is still starring and directing uh, the next film in this adaptation and so there is some casting news if you are excited about that one or if you're not it might still intrigue you to know that they are the ones starring in the next film um there isn't a whole lot in, of information besides that there it the deadline article says that they're planning to start production in the middle of next year and then it's supposed to come out next december so december 2019 um so yes if you were a fan of um murder on the orient express and are looking forward to death on the nile army hammer and gal gadot are going to be on the screen and they are very very good looking so it'll be nice to uh stare at them i suppose for two hours (laughs) (laughs) um and then the other piece of news um it's just sort of like one of those tiny things that like made me really happy. Um, Attica Locke posted on Twitter that she is uh, she basically like reshared um, this photo on her Instagram, and it's her um, and the other writers who are going to be working on the. I think it's TV show, Little Fires Everywhere. Um, so basically they uh, shared a picture of their writer's room and Attica Lock is one of them. Um, and as someone who loves Attica Lock and really enjoyed Little Fires Everywhere, and I think that Little Fires Everywhere is like one of those books that's like made to be a TV show, especially like one of those HBO style shows. Um, I'm very intrigued to see sort of how that goes. So yes, it's very exciting that Attica Lock continues to get work. Um, she previously, she's done like TV shows before. Like I know she's written on Empire and I think she's written on a couple of other tv shows as well um but yeah i'm very excited to see that show and i'm excited that at o'clock is one of the people working on it Woohoo! yes 
<laughs> All right. So before um, before we get into uh, this episode's discussion, we have our first book sponsor, um, and that is Sawkill Girls by Claire Legrand. And this uh, Claire Legrand wrote, uh, I think it's Furyborn. Is that is that the right book? I actually am not sure. Okay. Um, well, Google that and let me know. Um, <laughs> Um, but, uh, it says from New York Times bestselling author Claire Legrand comes a frightening YA thriller perfect for fans of Victoria Schwab and Stranger Things. Who are the Sawkill girls? Marion, the newbie, weighed down by tragedy and hungry for love she's sure she'll never find. Zoe, the pariah, aching with grief and dreaming of vanished girls. Val, the queen bee, a heart made of secrets and a mouthful of lies. Their stories come together on Sawkill Rock, where kids whisper the legend of a monster at parties around campfires, where girls have been disappearing for decades, stolen away by a ravenous evil no one has dared to fight until now. This terrifying and atmospheric thriller is perfect for fans of Victoria Schwab, Nova Rensuma, and Netflix's hit show, Stranger Things, available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. And again, that is for Sawkill Girls by Claire Legrand, and we thank them very much for sponsoring the show. Also, you are correct. It is for Harry Bourne. I did Google it. Woohoo! <laughs> That's a good librarian for you. Oh, yeah. Librarian skills coming in handy here. <laughs> All right. Uh, so our topic for this episode, um, I was thinking that since here in the United States, it is we are in the middle of um, Hispanic Heritage Month. It runs from September 15th to October 15th, I believe. Um, and so I thought that it would be fun or interesting to uh, talk about books by and about um, Latin or Hispanic authors. And so, yes, that's basically the topic for this episode. And I already had like a couple of books um, on my shelf that I wanted to check out. Um, but I'll so sort of start things off by uh, talking about Name of the Dog by Elmer Mendoza. Um, so I had picked up Silver Bullets by Elmer Mendoza from the library, but I never read it because I just ran out of time and it was due back at the library and I don't like uh, having to pay late fees. Um, but the publisher actually sent me a copy of this. And I believe that this is the third book that's been translated um, from Spanish. This is translated by Mark Fried. And um, on the cover of this one, like under the author's name, it says that he's the godfather, godfather of narco lit. Um, so he is a Mexican author. He writes the sort of... Yeah, I feel like narco lit is basically like the best description for it. You are following um, this character named Detective um, Edgar Lefty Men Mendetta. Um, he is a police detective in Mexico. Um, he's living in this town called Culiacan. I apologize now. I'm probably going to mess up all of the Spanish words in here. Um, but that city specifically in Mexico is like known for its high um, drug cartels and like imports and exports of drugs and things like that. Um, and so you, this series is basically following this private detective in Mexico. And one of the things I really like about this book is that it's very um, honest about what's actually happening in Mexico, but it doesn't feel like super dragged down by the story. Um, the story is actually like very comedic and very, um, I don't want to say lighthearted. It's really more like a dark comedy than anything else. And this is like one of those books that's like, really well written and feels like um 
it should be adapted into like a TV show or movies because like the way that he writes it and also like the way that it's translated is written in a way that you can like really see what's going on. Um, so in this one, you are following uh, Lefty as he is trying to figure out this person who is killing off all of these dentists. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was not expecting you to say dentists. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, it's it's great. Um, so the thing, so the way, like, you know who's doing all of the killings. And basically what's happening is there is this, like, cartel guy who, or drug lord, who literally has a toothache. And he wants a dentist to pull his tooth out. Um, so, like, the first dentist he goes to, the dentist is basically like, I can't pull it out right now. Come back tomorrow. Because, like, the drug lord goes and sees him like when he's closing up shop and basically and he's basically and he's also saying things like your tooth is really rotted so i can't just like yank it out like i need to do like a whole procedure in order to remove your tooth and he gets really angry and kills him and so like the story continues and he keeps like going to different dentists and every time like the, either the dentist refuses him or the dentist is not like in the office and so he gets angry and kills someone else and all of this stuff. And so it's like this really ridiculous story. Um, but it's also like obviously like really dark and really gritty at the exact same time. Um, it kind of like when I was reading this book, I'm not exactly sure why, but it reminded me of like a combination of like a Quentin Tarantino film just because of like how violent and sort of like light it can get at times while also being so violent, but also of like the TV show Fargo. Oh, okay. You sold me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not exactly like Fargo, but sort of in that way where like Fargo could be really violent at times. Like it has some really violent scenes, but it also has these like moments of levity that kind of come out of nowhere and you're like end up chuckling while like someone's dying. Like it's like that sort of like compare and contrast that's happening in this book that I really enjoyed. Um, the one thing I will say that's like a downfall that I've noticed a lot with um specifically Mexican writers, but I've noticed this with various Latin American writers as well. Um, the way that it's translated, there's no quotation marks. And also, um, it's just like giant paragraphs. So they don't even do like paragraph breaks between uh, the different speakers. So you kind of, it gets a little bit confusing in times and it can get like a little bit overwhelming at times um, while reading this book, just because like you really need to concentrate to figure out like what's dialogue and what's not dialogue and who's speaking when and things like that. Um, it also has a very large cast of characters. There's even like a character index at the beginning of the book. Um, but yeah, it's just like, it was a very surprising book because I was expecting it to be darker, darker because I knew it was about like drug lords and things like that in Mexico, but I wasn't expecting the levity. Um, there are also like these weird, so this book also takes place during Christmas time. And so there'll be like random times where you're like, you're reading a story and then like, they'll mention like that, like Jingle Bells is playing in the background or something like that. Like music keeps like coming up in the story. And I think that's also why it felt so like cinematic to me is because like I could see the scene and I could hear like in the background hearing Jingle Bells lightly playing or something like that. Um, so yeah, this was like very surprising and very well done. But again, I feel like this is one of those books that like stylistically a lot of people won't like because um, like the way that it's written, like it requires a little bit more work. Um, so but I, again, just really enjoyed it a lot. I think it's it was kind of like a fun crime novel so I, and I feel like those are kind of hard to find like it feels like crime novels a lot of times lean more into the gritty um so if you want something that's sort of like a black comedy crime novel uh 
Name of the Dog by Elmer Mendoza might be a good one to pick up. And I'm sure I'm going to go back now and try to pick up some of his other books too. Um, But yeah, I really enjoyed it and I was very surprised by it. Yeah, I like at first when you like when you mentioned what was the term that you used narco lit or something yes. like that. Okay, so I'm like ah, that's not really my my cup of tea, but I'm like oh that sounds interesting. But then you said killing off dentists, and I'm like okay, and I'm like this sounds like an extended Monty Python skit or something. And then you compared it to Fargo. I'm like well crap. <laughs> I I love Fargo. I love the TV show, even though I've only seen like a season and a half. I love the movie. Fargo the movie is one of my favorite movies. Um, so I'm like, okay, well, add that one to the list. Oh, there is one more thing I do want to mention. Um, there's a lot of like... I think the best word I can describe this as is like machismo happening in here. I think it's because like you're following drug lords and you're basically following like a lot of men. Like there is like one main woman in here. Well, actually, that's not true. There's probably like two or three main women. Um, but there's a lot of like descriptions of women that like I was like, hmm, is that really necessary? So if you're sensitive to stuff like that, um, I do want to give that warning as well because it was like one of those things. And I felt like it was heavier towards the beginning of the book and that like the deeper we got into like the – I don't want to say mystery because it's not really a mystery, but it's more like the deeper that you got into the story, the less that those uh, descriptions came up. But there was like – certain points in time where like a character saw a woman and like described her based on her measurements. And I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that, but (laughs) (laughs) that's like one of those things that I always like to sort of like warn people about, because I know that it will get on a lot of people's uh, nerves. (laughs) Good point. Um, Okay. So I am actually, I'm going to talk about two books and I will explain why. Um, The first book I am going to talk about is The Daughters of Juarez, A True Story of Serial Murder South of the Border by Teresa Rodriguez. This is true crime, and it talks about a, uh, let's see, this was, written, uh, this was written a little over 10 years ago, and since the early 90s in uh, Juarez, Mexico, which is just across, um, it's across the Rio Grande from El Paso, Texas, it's right across the border, um, since the early 90s, there have been, it says that there have been 400 dead bodies recovered there. Hundreds of them are, st- hundreds more are still missing. Um, but there have been, among those bodies, there have been a, a series of violent, of violent murders against women. So, trigger warning, um, very, you know, th- it is all about violence against women. And basically a serial, a potential serial killer that has gone unchecked. Um, I have not had a chance to to double check that there have not been any updates on that situation. I don't believe that there have. Um, but it's, um, I mean, the city itself, it talks about how the city kind of came, how uh, it kind of became a center for factories and for American companies. They would build their factories over in Mexico, and and so it started seeing this huge influx of of workers looking for, looking for jobs, uh, talking a lot about the poverty of the city and what and kind of like what the daily life is for a lot of these families. Um, but then it talks about how these young women who range from 
you know, from like mid teenagers through early 20s, they're all the same, about the same age, same build, same, you know, hairstyle, same coloring. There, There's a definite pattern. And basically, they go missing. And then they show up days or even weeks or months later, and they have and they they turn up dead and very clearly have been um, have have been tortured, have been mutilated, have been raped. It's very very brutal, um, and it talks and uh, the early on in the book they talk about how. They talk about like a couple of the mothers of some of the, the of some of these girls about how they they try to go to the state police to see if they can fill out a missing persons report if they can get an investigation. Nothing happens. Um, they talk about you know how they the police when they like they think they find they find. Uh, a suspect, but then it turns out that the evidence doesn't point towards them. They just, they kind of like, they're accumulating all of these suspects that where the evidence isn't really pointing towards them. But the overarching theme is that in this city, in this area, these, these women and these girls don't matter. They don't register as being something for the police to spend their time on. They talk about how the police... Uh, how there's all this corruption in the police department, um, how investigations aren't actually carried out. They just figure out what, how they want the the narrative of the evidence to go, and then they use that to pin it on someone, even if it doesn't fit. Um, they talk about one of the mothers who goes to report that her daughter's missing, and they're like, well, how old is she? She's like, oh, yeah, she's 18 or something like that. And they're like, oh, well, she's out wearing, you know, short shorts and high heels like all the other girls. And so much, you know, they're like, oh, she's meeting a boyfriend oh and they they laugh they they mock they it's just it's a horrific it's just this this you very palpable sense of what it is like to be a woman or be a girl in this city and it is it's a very compelling book given the state of the country right now this was not a book i could finish i can't i right now i cannot read a book about how that just emphasizes how little women and girls matter um, in 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 certain areas. It just I couldn't do it this weekend, so I stopped after about I almost almost a hundred pages. So I got I feel like I got a good chunk of the book, or I got enough of a taste of the book to get an idea of what the storyline was like. But it's just not one I can finish right now. Um, so again, that was The Daughters of Juarez, A True Story of Serial Murder South of the Border by Teresa Rodriguez. Um, so since I was not able to finish that one, I wanted, I did want to talk about a book that I have finished and really, really loved. Um, and it's not, it's not quite a mystery, but it's got enough mystery elements. I think that there would be a strong appeal here. And that is Burn, Baby, Burn by Meg Medina. It is a young adult novel. Um, if you, um... Even if you you don't think, oh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm into young adult. This book is amazing. Um, it's it's takes place during the summer. I think is 1977. Yes, uh, the summer of 1977, which uh, takes place in New York City. Um, this was the summer uh, when when the son of Sam was on the loose. Um, the you know real life serial killer. Um, there's the city, New York City's just in chaos. There are all of these blackouts. There are fires that are being started across the city. You know, it's just, it's 
and and then Son of Sam is going around and is killing young couples that are out on dates late at, late at night, and no one can figure out who it is. Um, so that's kind of the setting that when this book takes place. And the main character's name is Nora uh, Nora Lopez, and she's seventeen. She's just graduated from high school, and she is trying to. Um, she is she's trying to kind of figure out what she wants to do she's getting uh, her teachers are pressuring her to go to college but she's got the this huge huge amounts of drama at home her mom is her mom is struggling to pay their rent again um her brother is becoming more and more uh volatile dangerous unpredictable um he's turning he's turning to violence towards Nora towards her mother um her father is busy with his new family so he never talks to them um so she's trying to figure out kind of where her place is in all of this there's a there's um a, a cute guy who starts working at the deli where she works but she's like can i even is it even worth starting to date because there is a literal serial killer running around killing young couples that are that are out on dates right now um and so it kind of has a it kind of has a, almost a slice of life feel to it. I mean there there is there is kind of a plot, but it's it really focuses on Nora's character. Um, but there the suspense of the the son of Sam elements, along with the suspense of her brother, who is a very who is a very frightening character. Um, I remember when I read this book a couple years ago. I remember feeling so surprised. At how quickly I tore through this book. The, the suspense was there, just kept me turning the pages. And ultimately, I just, I loved Nora's character so much and how she learns to kind of come into her own um, and just kind of her, as she learns to kind of like, to, to identify what it is that she needs from other people and how to like stand up for her needs and what she, and what she needs, wants to get out of life. And it was just such a fulfilling yet suspenseful novel I, I it's so hard to kind of put it into a category but it just blew me away when i read it i remember reading it for a book talk um that i was giving to a bunch of high school students and like every one of them i was like guys you got to read this book this book is bonkers it's so good um so that one it's it's just got all of these interesting elements to it it's a great character driven novel with these suspense elements and i just love it to pieces so i did want i did want to give a recommendation like i said for a book that i have actually gotten all the way through um so again that is burn baby burn by meg medina hi Love that book so much. It's one of those books where I distinctly remember like my chest tightening while reading reading it because I was like so anxious about what was going to be happening. Mm-hmm. Yep, me too. I remember just like I remember reading it like in bed. Like I wasn't like it wasn't late at night. It was just like in the afternoon. I just remember laying on my side, just like turning the pages. I and I just remember just totally. I think I I think I read it in like two sittings. It's so good yeah uh, so i second that recommendation <laughs> all right um so that's everything that we have for this topic feel free to like we've said at the beginning of the show like contact us if you have uh book recommendations for latin american um hispanic um or like american authors who are of hispanic or latin descent um that write mystery books because we always love those types of recommendations so definitely feel free to tweet at us email us whatever you prefer all right so i have our second sponsor for this episode and that is broken things by lauren oliver 
This is an engrossing and unforgettable psychological thriller by New York Times bestselling author Lauren Oliver um, with the whiplash turns of Gone Girl and One of Us is Lying. It's been five years since Summer Marks was brutally murdered in the woods. Everyone thinks that Mia and Bryn, driven by their obsession with the novel called The Way Into Love Lorne, killed their best friend. The only thing is, they didn't do it. Five years later, a new discovery resurrects the mystery and pulls Mia and Bryn back together once again. But as the lines begin to blur between fiction and reality, the two girls must confront the truth of their past, no matter how monstrous. So... If you were, again, a fan of the sort of twists and turns and psychological thrillers that are like Gillian Flynn books or, again, One of Us is Lying, um, then you might be interested in picking up Broken Things by Lauren Oliver, which is available now wherever books and audiobooks are sold. So thanks so much to them uh, for sponsoring this episode. All right. I've got new releases this week or this episode. And of course, I am kicking it off by announcing, hear ye, hear ye, the new ton of French novel has officially been released. Get your wallets ready. You want to order this one. <laughs> you can't see me, but I am waving my hands over my head like I've got semaphore flags. Um... So the newest Tana French novel is The Witch Elm. You have heard us talk, you have, we've talked about it multiple times on this show. It is wonderful, but you're, and we're going to talk about it again. Um, so uh, the, basic, the basic synopsis, um, it is a standalone novel, so it does not follow the Dublin Murder Squad series. Um, although I can say from personal reading experience that it very much feels like a Dublin Murder Squad book. It's just like on the opposite end of the investigation from the actual person side. Um, so the main character is Toby, who is a happy-go-lucky charmer who's dodged a scrape at work and is celebrating with friends when the night takes a turn that will change his life. He surprises two burglars who beat him and leave him for dead. Struggling to recover from his injuries and beginning to understand that he might never be the same man again, he takes refuge at his family's ancestral home to care for his dying uncle Hugo. And then a skull is found in the trunk of an elm tree in the garden, and as detectives close in, Toby is forced to face the possibility that his past may not be what he has always believed. Um, the, this book asks what we become, what we're capable of when we no longer know who we are. These are all very true statements. This book is amazing. It is, it is gripping. It is profound. It is suspenseful. And by the, it is dark. Um, this was the book that I gave Blaine my advanced digital copy of, and he finished it. And he just tossed the Kindle onto, onto the coffee table when he was finished. He just went, I have feelings, and walked back into the bedroom. <laughs> so this this book is absolutely amazing. Um, if, you, if you have read Tana French, you don't need me to tell you again. Go pick it up. Um, if you have not read Tana French, uh, this would probably be a good place to give it a try. You get it, you know, get it to get a sense of her writing style. Um, but it is a standalone novel, so you, so it really is separate from the series. But since for those of us who love the series, it still very much feels like a part of that same that same world. So she just she just created magic with this one. Love it to pieces. Um, and again, that uh, that is already out wherever books are sold. Go get it right now. <laughs> Um, the next book on the list is Wrecked, uh, which is the third book in the uh, uh, in the IQ series by Joe E. Day. 
and that is also that is also available now. Actually, I think all of the books, yeah, all of the books I'm talking about for this episode have already been that are already out. So you can go buy any of these. Um, so, like I said, this is the third book in the series. So Isaiah Kintabe, or IQ for short, has never been more successful or felt more alone. A series of high-profile wins in his hometown of East Long Beach have made him so notorious that he can hardly go to the corner store without being recognized. Dodson, once his sidekick, is now his full-fledged partner, hell-bent on giving IQ's PI business some real legitimacy uh, and a Facebook page, and IQ's promise to stop accepting Christmas sweaters and carpet cleanings in exchange for PI services. So when a young painter approaches IQ for help tracking down her missing mother, it's not just the case Isaiah is looking for, but it's also a human connection. And when his new confidant turns out to be connected to a dangerous paramilitary operation, IQ falls victim to a threat even a genius can't say coming can't see coming. Um, I have not read the second book in the series, but Rincy, I I think you have, right? Yes, I have. Okay, yeah. So um, I have read the first one though, um, and so this is kind of like. I think I think we described it as like if Sherlock Holmes was set in the projects, um, but these are these are very smart, um, very very gritty and very interesting um, mystery novels. So if you've been following this series, the third book is out now, and again that is Wrecked by Joe E. Day, and then we have uh, Mycroft and Sherlock by Kareem Abdul Jabbar and Anna Waterhouse. And the first sentence here, the new novel by NBA all-star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I just, I love that sentence so much. This is just fantastic. Um, But it is 1872, and a series of gruesome murders is the talk of London. Mycroft Holmes, now 26 and a force to be reckoned with at the war office, has no interest in the killings. However, his brother Sherlock has developed a distasteful fascination for the macabre to the detriment of his studies, much to Mycroft's frustration. When a ship carrying cargo belonging to Mycroft's best friend Cyrus Douglas runs aground, Mycroft persuades Sherlock to serve as a tutor at the orphanage that Douglas runs as a charity, so that Douglas might travel to see what can be salvaged. Sherlock finds himself at home among the street urchins, and when a boy dies of a suspected drug overdose, he decides to investigate, following a trail of strange subterranean symbols to the squalid opium dens of the London docks. Meanwhile, a meeting with a beautiful Chinese woman leads Mycroft to the very same mystery, one that forces him to examine the underbelly of the opium trade that is enriching his his beloved Britain's coffers. As the stakes rise, the brothers find that they need one another's assistance and counsel, but a lifetime of keeping secrets from each other may have catastrophic consequences. Um, So if you are a Sherlock Holmes fan, I don't think I need to tell you twice, you'll want to pick this one up. Um, And again, that is Mycroft and Sherlock by Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. And then finally, we have a nonfiction book to round us out. Uh, It's called In My Father's House, A New View of How Crime Runs in the Family by Fox Butterfield. Uh, This is a path-breaking examination of our huge crime and incarceration problem that looks at the influence of the family, specifically one Oregon family with a generation's-long legacy of lawlessness. Oh my god, that is a tongue twister. (laughs) I did not read that ahead of time, and then all of a sudden I come across that, I'm like, oh boy. Um, so the, the U.S. holds the distinction of housing nearly a quarter of the world's prison population, but our reliance on mass incarceration, the, the author argues, misses the intractable reality. As few as 5% of families account for half of all crime, and only 10% account for two-thirds. Holy cow, that's a stat. That is a stat. 
I the, just now, like I, I, I knew the basic premise of it, but I did not read that stat until I just read it. And I'm like, holy cow. In introducing us to the Bogle family, the author invites us to understand crime in this eye-opening new light. He chronicles the malignant legacy of criminality passed from parents to children, grandchildren, and even great-grandchildren. Examining the long history of the Bogles, a white family, Butterfield offers a revelatory look at criminality that forces us to disentangle race from our ideas about crime, and in doing so, strikes at the heart of our deepest stereotypes. And he makes clear how these new insights are leading to fundamentally different efforts at reform. With his empathic insight and profound knowledge of criminology, Butterfield offers us both the indelible tale of one family's transgressions and tribulations and an entirely new way to understand crime in America. Holy bonkers, I book is I'm going to add this to my Goodreads immediately. So this is called In My Father's House, A New View of How Crime Runs in the Family by Fox Butterfield. And uh, again, yeah, all of these books that I have mentioned are currently uh, currently available to purchase. Um, my debit card is going to be crying in about 30 minutes. <laughs> yeah, October 9th was a big book release date, whether or not you like, I mean, obviously, everyone listening to this likes mysteries. But like, in general, there were so many good books that came out. Um, I also wanted to mention that recently, oh, I forgot who it was. Someone did a Q&A with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on the Book Riot website. And the photo that they provided was amazing because it's him in like the Sherlock Holmes, I forgot what it's called, like the cap the Sherlock Holmes type cap. I don't remember the oh, style. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I don't know. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's like the best photograph I've seen ever of like a human being, let alone Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So I'm going to link, <laughs> if I can find it, I'm going to link to that story just so everyone can see that photo. <laughs> you know, read the interview if you want, but. I mean, just, I mean, she gets the views no matter what, so. <laughs> All right. Um, so moving on to the currently reading uh, section of our show. I've had a terrible uh, couple of weeks for reading. Like in general, I have not finished a single book since September 26th. I've looked at the date because I was interested to see what it was outside of like reading this book for uh, the episode. I have not been reading anything. My brain has just not been um, attaching to anything. Um, So yeah, I have nothing new to report for this episode. Everything that I I mentioned in the last episode, I tried reading and it just wasn't working for me. Um, And to prove that like, it is my brain and not the books that I'm picking up. Um, I even started to read The Witch Elm and it was not working for me. Like that's how bad my brain has been lately. <laughs> so if Tana French isn't working for me, then I know it's me and not the book. <laughs> I will say though, and I think I mentioned this before, The Witch Elm takes a little bit longer to get started than some of her other books. Like I found that it really kind of started to pick up. You had to get about a third of the way through before you kind of felt like it was get, it was starting to get rolling. Yeah. And I, yeah. And so like, I know that like, that's not what I could handle at that time. (laughs) So I basically just like put it down and I was like, I don't want to judge this book based on like how terrible of a mood reading mood I've been in. So yes, I have no real updates. um, But I do need to read this ton of French book immediately. So I am going to try again. I've been reading this is not a mystery book at all. um, But I've been reading The Cruel Prince by Holly Black. And so uh, that's been helping. I think I needed something sort of like fast-paced YA sort of thing. That's a YA mystery book about like fairies. Or not mystery book, sorry, fantasy book about fairies. Um, And so that's been helping. So I think once I get done with this book, I'll be in a better reading mood. And then I'm going to read The Witch Elm. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, um, I have... 
Uh, thankfully, my audiobook problem that I think I mentioned last time where I'm like, oh, God, Bad Blood is going to be coming in, and so is Lethal White, and oh, God, I don't know what to do. Well, I'm already, I'm halfway, th- or more than halfway through Bad Blood um, by John Carreyrou, and Lethal White has not shown any signs of showing up on the whole shelf yet. So... Um, I may be okay in that aspect. I'm really hoping that it comes in before I leave, before I take my three-week break to, you know, get get hitched and all that stuff. So I'm really hoping it comes in in the next, you know, week and a half. Um, but I am, like I said, I'm, I'm over halfway through um, Bad Blood by John Carreyrou, um, which we have already mentioned multiple times um, about the... Um, the startup, uh, the medical startup company Theranos and Elizabeth Holmes, who is in charge of the company, and how how badly this company went off the rails. Um, and yeah, holy cow, this book, I just I just keep listening to it in the car. Like, even like sometimes with audiobooks, like if I'm coming home from work and I'm like, oh, am I in the mood to listen to an audiobook? I don't know. Like, sometimes there's some hemming and hawing, and I'll just say, I'll just put on, you know, might put on a podcast or something. Um, this book, it just has me hooked. It's, I know nothing about, it's, it's like a, it's like a, it's investigative, like business thriller nonfiction almost, even though there's, there's not so much a thriller element, but I just have to keep listening to hear like what else this company is like, how it's going to try and like, like do the impossible, even though it's not, you know, it's not happening. They talk about how they're, you know, they're faking, you know, they're faking product testing or they're pushing through products without get without getting it properly tested. They are they are lying or misleading investors. They're creating a cult-like, very toxic, dysfunctional um environment in the workplace. I mean, it's just mind-boggling. And so there's the more I listen, the more I'm just like, "Oh my lord." So I'm not I'm, you know, I'm not when it comes to my reading taste, I'm not particularly interested in business or technology or medical technology, and I am just completely hooked by this book. Um, so by I think by the next episode, um, well, I'll have I, I should have finished. I'll have that finished um, so I can report back to see if anything changes. But I, I doubt it. I think it's going to be just as uh, just just as intriguing as it's been through the first seven sections so far, seven discs or whatever. Um, so again, that's Bad Blood by John Carreyrou. And in terms of what I am starting, <laughs> I, what I wrote in the Word doc, which which prompted a, a sp- very spontaneous giggle from Rincey, says, if there's a book called How Not to Murder Someone in the Weeks Leading Up to Your Wedding, I'll take it. No, everything's fine. Everything's fine. I'm just... I'm getting married in two weeks, and so I'm starting to hit the ah part portion of the wedding planning. Um, not that I wasn't there already, but it's kind of hitting me like, oh my god, this is coming in two weeks. Um, so I don't know what I'm going to be reading. I don't know if I'll have time to read anything. Um, I am starting to plan what books I want, what ebooks I want to bring on my Kindle for the long plane ride over to London uh, for the honeymoon. Um, and so I know Harry Potter's going to be on there, which is not a mystery, but whatever. Um, so I I don't know. I might just load it up with a bunch of stuff and then see what I feel like reading at 40,000 feet or however high the plane goes. <laughs> um, 
But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm kind of open to suggestions. I know Jamie has suggested a couple of upcoming releases that she has messaged me about that she was like, okay, don't read anything about this book and then read it because I think you're going to love it. So that's enough for me. So I might see if I can pick up a couple of those. And of course, I don't have the names in front of me, so I can't, you know, even indicate which ones those are. Basically, I have absolutely no flipping clue <laughs> what I'm going to read. Um, I am just going to hopefully be able to keep my sanity in the next couple of weeks, and then we shall see. <laughs> I mean, I feel like that's everyone leading up to their wedding, so at least you're not alone. I'm oh, no. sure. <laughs> I, I know I am in good company. I, I know everyone has kind of been in uh, has been in that spot, but yeah, just kind of like it's it's in two weeks, really two weeks. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, <laughs> that's the show. Uh, thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head to bookriot.com slash listen and head over to the Red or Dead page. There will be links to the articles that we talked about at the top of the show, as well as to all of the books that we mentioned throughout the episode. And the picture of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. As well as the link to the story so you can see the picture of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, because that's very important. If anything, just go to the show notes just to see that. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you enjoyed the podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can find us. Um, otherwise, you can send us an email if you have any uh, suggestions for future episode ideas or you want to tell us about your favorite um, Latin or uh, Hispanic authors um, or if you just want to give us general comments we take those too um <laughs> you can also find us on twitter i am at rincy a and i'm on twitter at kt underscore library lady and we will talk to you guys next time bye bye, bye.